So we have a question today, and we've done questions uh, quite regularly lately. We've had uh, a strew of questions, and if you can imagine a question today, uh, this question is about food. Go figure. With our church, right? <laughs> food in your stomach. Uh, we're going to talk about that, and uh, it'll be quite a bit that we're going to cover for that. And uh, let me read the question to you first, and then I will talk a little about this, uh, how we're going to answer it. So in 1 Corinthians, it says, Food was made for the stomach, and the stomach for food. This is true, but someday God will do away with both. Okay? Uh, so the question kind of comes in with that, then why elsewhere in the Bible does it say that we will feast with the Lord? So we're going to talk about that. And this question ends up having two parts in it. Okay? And to order to answer the question fully... Every time you begin looking at a question or you have a question in your mind about a scripture, it is always wise to begin with the context that that scripture is in. Okay, And that's the first part of the question that we're going to look at is the context of the passage that this is in. So it comes from 1 Corinthians. We'll be in 1 Corinthians today. 1 Corinthians chapter number 6. And this is Paul writing this to the church at Corinth. Now, Corinth was a crazy group of people. They were dedicated, but they had a lot of issues that they were struggling through. And Paul wrote to those people of Corinth, the Corinthians, he wrote to them to kind of lovingly correct them about some of their issues. And they had a bunch of of issues. All right? Um, so oftentimes when Paul writes things, he uses examples. And that's what we're going to get into today a little bit. When he writes his examples and he takes something, as most uh, teachers do, oftentimes when I have a job of trying to explain something to somebody, whether it's here in the church, whether it's a teenager who has a question or an adult, or whether I'm teaching somebody at work about electricity or something like that, I use, I use examples. Because if you're trying to uh, figure something out that's foreign to you, what you do is take something familiar that can be translated and kind of put it over into that. So oftentimes when I teach Sunday school or I teach Tuesday nights uh, or whatever I'm doing, I will take something and talk about my kids because many of you can relate to that. And I'll take an idea from raising kids that is more obvious if you've lived through it and translate it to the way that God thinks. So that you understand, God oftentimes thinks like a parent. Or he thinks like a spouse. He thinks in love. And we assign motives because we think he's kind of way up and out there somewhere. But it's good to bring it back with a real example that you can relate to and then translate it over. And that's just the way we learn. So Paul uses examples in his book. 
He uses them quite often. And oftentimes Paul's examples actually can, are a whole topic in and of themselves. His things, his writings are very deep. And when you read uh, some of Paul's writings, you read, and sometimes you have to read it four and five times, just a passage to get out the things he said. All right? So what, what I read you in that beginning question was actually, actually an example. So food and the stomach is an example that he is using to teach something larger. Okay? It is still truth, and we'll address that part of the truth later, but we need to first look at the context of where that's sitting. So in chapter number 6 of 1 Corinthians, Paul is talking about several things. The first thing he begins to talk about is he is talking to the Corinthians about their problems that they have amongst themselves. Okay, if you were to look at the first part of the chapter, we're not going to read all that for sake of time. Uh, we will dig in when we uh, get the chance to. But I want you to know the first part is about lawyers and judges and arguments. And Paul is saying that all of you folks are fighting amongst yourself in the city of Corinth. You people in the church are fighting over little tiny things. And instead of figuring out how to talk to each other and deal with it in love, you are going to the court and saying, I want my five bucks back. You owe it to me. All right? And that's the way that they were treating each other. So they became a litigious society, okay? And they were stuck continually making habits of going back to these judges, and they would go and sit in front of a judge who didn't care anything about God. And they said, you decide for us how this is. And Paul said, what are you doing? Isn't there somebody wise enough in the whole church that could, that could settle your dispute amongst five bucks for each other? Isn't there somebody wise enough that's learned enough to be able to talk this out and figure it out? And if there isn't, couldn't you just forget about the five bucks? Because that's the way Christ would act. He's trying to get them to understand and look in a longer view. And look at what really matters. He wants them to see what is a really important thing. Think about the future. I should pick a new color here. Think about your future and don't get hung up in earthly things. Don't get hung up in earthly things. That's the part that he wants you to understand. And so he talks about the lawyers and he talks about their problems. 
figure it out, talk amongst yourselves. He even says, you as Christians will someday be set in judgment over angels. You'll be deciding, can't you figure out how to deal with things amongst yourself? And don't you want to look for God's wisdom in it? All right, that's the first portion. And then he begins a list of people who choose a lifestyle of sin versus a lifestyle of following God. And it is a shot across the bow for them. So if we're going to start in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse number 9, and that's where uh, we pick up with this. Know you not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. Wow. And if he stopped there, we'd all be in trouble. Every one of us. But verse 11. And such were some of you. But you are washed. But you are sanctified. But you are justified in the name of Lord, the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. And so he says, you were there. And sometimes you keep thinking like you're still there. You're not there anymore. You have gone through a transformation. You have been washed and sanctified. Okay, and I'll just use the word cleaned or cleansed. Okay, and you have been justified. In other words, Jesus Christ died so that you can be free. That you could be forgiven. He did that and he justified you in God's sight. So you are now free. You don't have to live like that anymore. You don't have to be a part of that anymore. You now have a new pathway. You have a new opportunity. You now live in freedom Freedom under the blood. You are no longer in bondage or in a strict living sense under the law. You have freedom under the blood of Christ to live. Hooray, we're all free. We can do whatever we want. And that's what the Corinthians say. Yeah, we knew it. We're just going to do anything we want. So Paul doesn't end there because he knows what they're thinking. Right? We've all done this, and then God gave us a free pass, and we're all set. He did give us a free pass. But then he also freely, he said, not only were you cleansed, you're washed, you're cleansed, you're justified, and then the Holy Spirit is given to you. And that's the key. The Holy Spirit is living inside of you, and will not let you get away with freedom because he's going to change you. He's going to work inside of you. He's not going to let you just do anything and destroy your life. 
he's going to say there's a wise way to live. And so Paul addresses that, and he says, you've got to view your status. You can do anything. You're free under the law. You're no more bound to the law. But, but, I'm going to tell you, you've got some things to work on. Verse number 12, all things are lawful unto me, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful unto me. But I will not be brought under the power of any. All right? So here it is. You can do anything. But not everything is wise. You are looking for wisdom. And you are looking, it says, I will not be brought under the power of any. In other words, I will have self-control. Both of these things come from the Spirit. The work of the Holy Spirit in our life is to teach us to have self-control. Not to say, there's a law, if you fall under it, I'm going to pound you. Nope. I'm going to teach you to have self-control on your own. I'm going to help you to want to have those things. I'm going to help change who you are, starting in the very inner core of your spirit and working my way out through until it comes out your fingertips comes out your mouth it comes out your speech and about everything you do comes out all those things and so that's where the spirit begins in the deepest part of you and works its way out now in the context of the passage we said here was one problem they were a litigious society right? everything we're going to go to the lawyer and we're going to do all these things uh, and then they had two more major problems that come up Two more major problems. And I told you, that sounds like maybe familiar, right? Lots of lawyers and judges and things to try to fix the world. Doesn't work too well. Might sound familiar. Two other things. Food and sex. That's what comes up next. Because that's what the Corinthians are having problems with. They are having problems with those two things. And Paul addresses that. And he comes in and he says, here's the things that I want you to think about. Right? Now, they had struggles with foods offered to idols and all sorts of things. Should I eat? Shouldn't I eat? And do all sorts of things like that. And he uses that food, because he's addressed it in the past, as something to talk about. Kind of a springboard and an example. Okay? He wants you to know. He wants you to look at it. So... Here it is. We want you to start to think differently. Right? We talked in the beginning about lawyers and all of this. We want you to think differently. Don't think like the world thinks. Think differently. And so we're going to continue on with verse number 13 where the question comes from. Meats, or that is food, for the belly and the belly for meats. But God shall destroy both it and them. Now the body is not for fornication, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. And God hath both raised up the Lord, and will also raise up us by his own power. All right? So, here's where his example comes in. He says, your food and your stomach are connected. 
This process makes sense to us all. All right? Everybody here has eaten. Everybody here. I don't care how young you are. You as a human don't have a choice. If you are going to survive, you must eat. You have a few short days where you can say, I'm not going to eat. You can try it. And if you have enough willpower or no food available, your body will essentially stop all its functions after you don't eat for some length of time, so many days, and you'll die. You have to have it. There is no choice. It's connected. And what he says is, God made food for your body. And he said, he made your body for the food. It's linked together. It's connected. It is always there. And that is always, always, it has to be there to sustain us. You know it. Now, the purpose of food is to keep us alive. And yet, when you fill your hungry belly, it doesn't have to be torturous to do it. Right? You can enjoy it. You can have pleasures here on earth to bring that food and sustain us. So there's a purpose behind it. God says, I'm going to allow you to eat all kinds of variety of things in this life. I'm going to allow you, I'm going to create these things. And you have a stomach. I made you so that you needed food to survive. And I, God teaches many, many lessons through that. But that's an example that he uses. Both will be destroyed, he says. Both will be destroyed. The food and the stomach. So what's going to be destroyed? Now, we're going to come back and talk about this, but I'm going to say it right now. The purpose, the relationship, the necessity between I need food or I will die will be destroyed. You know it because you can't go so long without it or you die, right? The purpose of that is what's going to be destroyed, right? Purpose of food and stomach, the relationship, right? It's pretty obvious, and that's why he uses it as an example. Everybody knows you don't eat, you get hungry, okay? you got to have it. It's a very easy thing to understand, okay? But he says, now I want you to think of purpose. That food has a purpose. It fills your stomach. God created that relationship and said, you need it. But I want you to go further and think of purpose because you guys have a problem, he says to the Corinthians. You have a problem. Fornication is your problem. And you think, well, I can do whatever I want and do anything I want because it feels good. It's pleasurable, yes, but there is a purpose here in life. And the purpose is not just to give yourself pleasure here in life, though we all often feel like it. It's human nature, right? 
So the purpose, God created your body, he said, for something different. He created your body, it says right there, verse number 13, now the body is not for fornication. In other words, that relationship, like food for the stomach, your body is created for something different. The relationship is food, or body, for the Lord, and, your lo- and the Lord for your body. In other words, your body was not created to give you pleasure. Your body was created to worship. Your body was created to be indwelt by God. That's why you have a body. And that's why it was a natural fit for Christ to come down and indwell a human body. Okay? He created the process. He created your body and he said, you are here to give glory to God in who you are. The variety of people, the variety of personalities, the variety that God has created just in this room and then across the world. And he said, you are created to worship the Lord, not to give yourself pleasure. And yet, just like food, God could make everything taste like toothpaste if he wanted to, but he didn't. Right? He made the world filled with variety, and he also said, okay, so sex has a purpose. Its underlying purpose is, if you don't do this, you won't have children. And if you don't have children, eventually you don't have human population anymore. Right? So God created it and said, that's a necessity. I'm going to create it this way. He says, but it's all under the... uh, the way that I have put it together and said, you do this within marriage, you do it within uh, the limits in which I have told you, and it's the wise way to live. Doesn't mean you can't go outside of those things. Freedom says you can, but wisdom says you don't. All right? I'm not bound under the law. You're right. You're not. But if you begin to live your life thinking in the way that your purpose was what are you trying to do then this Holy Spirit comes inside of you and says you've got so much more to do than just worrying about pleasuring yourself you've got so much more of a big thing and God will give you pleasure in your life in many ways he gives you relationships and he gives you things he says but it's not profitable to go outside of the plan It is not profitable to go outside. And so he says, within the bounds of marriage and commitment to that person, then you do this. And I give you all kinds of pleasure and all kinds of wonder and the things within the relationship in which he says, I created it that way. That's what his purpose was. And so the thrust of the chapter is not necessarily about eating or not all about sex and not all about lawyers. It is about saying, forget the world and what they live and start thinking much longer range in how you live. Think about what purpose each thing brings to your life. And are you within God's purpose or are you straying from that? All right. I don't say that in that, hey, I got this all down. I say that in my greatest struggles might lie in some of these things, and I know what failure is. And so I say, 
let's begin to think, try to live our lives thinking of that purpose. So that's the thrust of the chapter and why it says the body's for food and food's for the body, and it'll be destroyed. So that's that piece of the question. Now, let's go to the other piece of the question, which is back at that part where it says, Uh, Verse number 13, meats for the belly and belly for meats, but God shall destroy it, both it and them. All right? And we put to the side here up in the little parking lot the purpose, the relationship, the necessity of food will be destroyed. That does not mean that food will be destroyed or that your stomach as maybe as you know it, it will be. I don't know how it's going to be made up but what we do now is look to the future and say there's something coming there's something coming so the the crux of the question is do we eat later on when is god going to destroy this relationship well not in this world right because in this world you need to eat till the last day that you live okay or in the last few days that you live. You have to eat. That relationship will not go away. In time to come, things will change in ways that we've never connected them together. Here's where it gets exciting. Now, are we going to eat in heaven? That's what everybody really wants to know, right? <laughs> so go to Revelation. Revelation chapter number 19, because we're going to read it outright. <coughs> Revelation chapter 19, verse number 7. Revelation 19, 7. Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him. Remember the purpose, right? That still stays with the purpose that we were learning even back in Corinthians. For the marriage of the Lamb is come. And his wife hath made herself ready. All right, so there it is. We're going to have a wedding. What do you do at a wedding? You're eating, man. That's what you're going to You're hoping they got really good food, right? Verse number 8. And to her, that is the wife, it was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white. For the fine linen is the righteousness of the saints. And he said unto me, Right, blessed are they which are called unto the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he hath said unto me, These are the true sayings of God. So here we are, and this is a picture of the church, worldwide church. All of the people, when I say the church, I mean every person that has faith in God stands under the righteousness of Christ. Justified by faith, all the way back from Abraham, all the way back to Adam. Every person is justified by faith. We've talked about that in a while. But that creates the church. Those people who know the Lord have a relationship with him. All those people will be in heaven. It says the small and the great. Everybody will be there together and will act as one organism. As we are supposed to act here on the earth. The church is supposed to be a living, breathing organism. 
that is able to love and care for others, that moves as a whole, as per God's uh, power, moves across the world and does God's will. And we do it in love and kindness. That's what we're supposed to be doing here. All right? So someday we will stand in front of God and Jesus Christ will say, my bride has come. All of us as the church will be the bride. We will sit down to a wedding feast. And if you've ever been a bride and groom at your own wedding, you know you don't get to eat, right? Well, you're going to get to eat at this one, right? This is, this is the marriage supper of the Lamb. You will sit down and you will feast. And I think you will eat things that you have never tasted before. Maybe familiar things, too. And maybe things that you will say, what is this? I need the recipe. <laughs> and God will create a way that you do this. Now, why? Okay, back to that verse. It says, God destroys the food in the stomach, and the stomach for the food, and the food for the stomach, because you will no longer need to eat. You won't have to. You won't die if you don't eat. So why are we eating? Well, it says it right in the beginning of the verse, first verse we read there. Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor for the marriage of the Lamb has come. And so we're going to eat because it's fun. And we're going to eat because we're going to celebrate. And we're going to eat because it's the happiest day of our lives. And we're going to eat because sin is gone from us. And the tears and the anger and the frustration of living here on earth, failing again and failing and getting back up as a Christian saying, I do believe and yes, I failed again. All of those things will be wiped away. And we will have a celebration. And it says she will be allowed to be dressed in white. Given permission. Doesn't deserve it. The bride doesn't deserve to come in white, this one. But the bride will be given permission because Christ says, she's a me. I died for her. I redeemed her. And so with that, we will be dressed in white and celebrate God's righteousness lavished on us and his love lavished on us into eternity. When does it stop? I don't know. Maybe never. And you eat no longer because you have to. You eat because you celebrate, because it brings you pleasure, because it's joyful, because it's fun, because you're with the people you love with an intimacy that you cannot see without being in heaven and having all the sin out of there. So everything you struggle with in your own marriage, in your own relationships, with your own children, and all of those things that hold you back in life here in this earth, all those things are gone. That's the best part, right? And then you're with the Lord whom you have learned to love over your life. That's the goal of this life, right? To give glory to God and to learn how little we have done and how much he has done in his great plan. And just to be a part of it is a pleasure, is a privilege. And we say, wow, we get to eat. We get to feast with the Lord. We get to be a guest of honor where we never deserved it. 
So we're coming in and we're eating, we're feasting, we're seeing pleasures all at the hand of God with joys of things that we have seen in our eternal home. All those other things are gone and we're there with purpose and with pleasure. That to me lines out what heaven is. We will have great purpose in heaven. I think we will build and create and do things. There will be music and there will be literature and there will be things there of which I don't even know. How do you put it all together and what does it look like in heaven? I don't know, but there's a great amount of things. All of those things we'll see and we'll be close to one another. We'll have intimacy and closeness with one another we've never had because we put distance because there are things in our life that I just don't want you to know about me. And so we hold back. But we will not have those held back anymore. So, why is it destroyed? To answer the question, the relationship of the need is destroyed and it's gone now to be pleasure and purpose behind all that we're doing for the joy of it, for the celebration of it, not for the need because we can't make it without it. Thank you very much. Have a good day.